Good morning, everyone. We are so glad you're here on this. Everybody's leaving. Um, okay, great. Um, you're dismissed. No. Um, we're so glad you're here on this holiday weekend. It is Labor Day weekend, if you didn't know. Um, although, if you don't know, I'm not really sure where you're living. But um, we are glad you're here and that you're sh sharing this with us online. And let's greet each other with this greeting the church has been using for a very, very long, long time. The Lord be with you. Lord, your grace truly is so amazing. We can never earn it. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we could do that would make us worthy to receive it. And yet, Father, you bestow it so freely and so generously and so amazingly on us. Lord, thank you for your grace. Today, yesterday, and tomorrow, Lord. This grace that sustains us, the grace that keeps us, the grace that protects us, sometimes even from ourselves. Lord, I know that there have been some who have come in here today with deep, deep burdens. We've had sicknesses and we've had losses and we've had stuff of life that just happens, Lord, and it weighs heavy on us. Lord, I pray that each person who has come here this morning with these burdens on their heart, Lord, that they would find a respite, a time of peace in these moments that we're together, that, Lord, they can lay each burden down, trusting and knowing that you, the God of grace, God of mercy and God of justice, God of love, is going to take that burden and carry it. Give each one peace, Lord. Father, for those who've come in here after great victories this week, whatever those victories are, maybe they're small things, maybe they're big things, maybe they're huge things, Lord, answers to prayer that we honestly didn't even expect. Lord, we thank you for each one of those. We thank you for those victories. We thank you for those blessings. We give you honor and praise and glory for each one. And Lord, as we go forward in this service this morning, I just ask that your presence would be so real, would be so tangible in this place, Lord, that each person would not only sense your presence, Lord, but would know that you have been here. Not just maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but that they would know that they have met you in this place and in this moment. Lord, we give you honor and glory for the places where we see you working in our world, in the difficult circumstances that are happening. Lord, they're still cleaning up from hurricanes and earthquakes and the stuff that we do to each other. But Lord, I know that you are there and I know that you are working. I know that you are doing wonderful and mighty things, though we might not hear about it in social media or on the news. I thank you, Lord for each and every way that you are moving in our world and moving in our country, moving in our communities and in our own lives. For this, Lord, I give you praise and glory, honor and blessing, and pray these things in your name. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. You can wave at each other. We're waving. We're, we're not going to wander around right now. Um, but greet each other from across the room as best you can. Um, hello to anyone who might be watching. We're glad you're here. 
And now we're going to hear a little message from Pastor Rich. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Rich, and I asked Pastor Judy if I could share this morning's quick announcements with you. Uh, we would love for you to go to livinghope.info slash connect and fill out a digital connect card today so we can connect with you this week. Tell us how we can pray for you or thank God with you or ask a question or give us some feedback or let us know you want more information about one of these things I'm about to mention. Uh, of course, if you're in the room, you can grab one of those little green cards in the back and jot your note on there and then drop it in the offering box. And if you're giving today, you can drop that in the box too. Uh, for the rest of us, we can go to livinghope.info slash give and give online. Thank you to all of you who give so faithfully. The everyday ministry of this church could not happen without you. And thank you to all of you who have given to Habitat so far and those of you who will give today. When you give online, you can choose Habitat from the little drop-down menu. And when you give in person, you can just write Habitat on your envelope. Together, we're building a house for a family in need here in Valparaiso this fall. Uh, if you want to get your hands dirty building that house, sign up for one of our build days, either Friday, September 24th, or Saturday, October 16th. The links are at livinghope.info slash habitat. Uh, but before those build days, we have a little something to celebrate here on Sunday, September 19th. Living Hope turns 21 years old. We'll kick off a new message series that day that you won't want to miss, and then we'll have a birthday party and cookout at 11.45, right after the second service. Stick around for the burgers and dogs, the games, and the birthday cake. It'll be outside, weather permitting, so we can spread out and enjoy each other's company. And hey, you can invite a friend. Uh, that same weekend, on Saturday, the 18th, from 9 to noon, we're hosting that group that does the bike giveaways again. So if you know someone who needs a bike, please let them know. And one last thing. The Women's Bible Study is taking the month of September off and then starting a new seven-week series on Hosea on Wednesday, October 6th. Ladies, if you're interested, please let us know on your Connect card today and let us know if 9.30 in the morning or 1 o'clock in the afternoon works better for you. Now, before I hand it off to Pastor Judy for this morning's message, here's a sneak peek of what you'll get in that study of Hosea. This is going to be an incredible experience where we all get to see what it's like to experience God's unfailing love. We are incredibly loved, incredibly valuable, and incredibly capable of blowing it. <laughs> That's why we are in the book of Hosea. I want you to experience it. I want you to be able to enjoy it. I want you to be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. If you're lost, the message of Hosea is that God will find you. If you're ashamed, He'll cover you. If you've wandered off, He'll come get you. If you have given up on Him, He is not going to give up on you. If you have found yourself in chains and in slavery and you don't know how you got there, He will buy you back and give you freedom. That's the incredible scandal of God's love. He would do whatever it takes to restore us. That kind of unfailing love will change everything. Boy, I wish that I was able to take part in that Bible study. It looks really exciting. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, I, I'm blessed, but I do have a full-time job. Um, I was jokingly shared with some friends, this is my side hustle. And they're like, is that really how you want to classify what you do? It's like, well, probably not, but, you know, it's, it's a quick way to explain it, right? Um, I want to say how much I appreciate Doug and Mary for sharing music t today, this morning. I always love to hear them. Can Yeah, let them know you appreciate them. 
So I also appreciate when Mary's up here because she turns this fan on back here, <laughs> which is really nice for me. <laughs> so thank you, Mary. Thank you. And, um, I, and this, the funny thing is, I know I mentioned it was Labor Day weekend, and I knew this, but I didn't have that in mind when I was preparing the sermon for this morning, but it kind of goes along with Labor Day in a kind of a strange sense. So, so just hold on, and we'll get there, and maybe you'll see the connection. But um, a couple, three weeks ago, I had the privilege of being up here, um, and we talked about faith in the law. Do you remember? Does anybody remember? No, no. Okay, I see one. Okay, thank you. I see one person raise their hand, one person nodding their head. Thank you for remembering. Um, but it was about faith in the law and how following the law or following the rules is not the same as having faith. We also talked about how the law is like a mirror that we hold up to our faces, and we look into it and see if we're reflecting Jesus more and more and more, rather than it being a list of do's and don'ts that we have to follow. And the conclusion we came to, hopefully hopefully everybody came to the conclusion, because that was kind of the point of what I shared, was that the greatest commandment or the greatest law that we were given was to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. Pretty simple. I, I think it's pretty simple. Simple in the concept, but it can be hard working its, work, and it's working out. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Rich talked to us about the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you, does everybody remember the Good Samaritan story? If you were here, yes, good, thank you. And how we, he shared that story and how we can best answer the question, who is my neighbor? That story does a really good job of helping us to realize that everyone really is our neighbor. Our families, our actual neighbors, the folks in our community, our coworkers, other students, even strangers we might meet. But our neighbors also include the folks our society sees as different or strange. Those who aren't normal, quote unquote, or don't fit the ideals our culture has deemed acceptable. These are also our neighbors who are loved by God and people that we're to love. So now that we've had a little bit of a catch up, we're up to today, I want to talk about um, faith not being this list of do's and don'ts, but the concept of works, okay, or, or deeds, or actions, or things that we do, works, good works that we might do, and that's where it ties into Labor Day, because it gives us a break from work, right? I said it's very, might not tie in really, really great, but anyway. But this concept that we find in Ephesians, and we, we find Paul talking about this very thing, this idea of works, or working in our salvation, in, in regards to our salvation, and telling, telling the believers in Ephesus about this thing, about this whole concept. In chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, we read what Paul says to them. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, how many would say that sounds familiar? That's from the NIV. It sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Sometimes, though, I like to read a different translation, so I get a little different perspective on what it's saying. So I want to read it again from the New Living Translation. 
says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now this passage really reiterates what we read in Romans a couple weeks ago. We can never be good enough or do enough good things, no matter how long or how hard we try, to achieve or attain faith, or what we might call salvation. We can't keep all of the law, we can't obey all of the rules, we can't do all of the things. It's not possible. And trying to do all that actually isn't really faith, it's religion. And there's a difference. But while the Bible tells us that doing all the things and following all the rules won't earn us salvation or faith, it also tells us that our faith should result in doing those things. And it can seem like a contradiction when we read from Ephesians and then we go on to read in places like James. How many of you like, James is one of my favorite books. I've got about a lot. But James is really in my top ten. It really is. And it can seem like the two contradict each other, what Paul is saying in Ephesians and then what James is saying. So a little bit of background about these two different writers. Paul was writing to Gentile believers. Believers in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. And he was explaining and correcting some theology for them. That's what Paul did often. James, though, he was the half-brother of Jesus. And he was a leader in the church in Jerusalem, and his writing addressed the Jewish believers. So his, they, they have a little different flavor to them, a little different perspective, okay? The entire book of James looks at a number of issues that the church was facing at that time. Issues like discrimination, Pride, lust, greed, hypocrisy. <laughs> of course, there's none of the churches in the U.S. now are dealing with any of those issues, are they? <laughs> Thank you for the laugh. I appreciate it. I, I, I have a friend who say, you know, there's really, Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. And I have a friend who says, you know, it's all the same stuff. It's just a different soundtrack. You know, so, you know, while kids are dealing with things now that everybody's like, oh, it's so hard what they have to deal with. Well, I mean, it's, I'm old. So, you know, we dealt with very much the same things without social media. It's just our soundtrack sounded different. It was better, in my opinion. But, <laughs> but what James was addressing back then are the same kinds of things that we deal with in our churches today, which makes this very relevant, which I, I appreciate. <laughs> Um, so we could look at the whole book of James today. How many of you want to look at the whole book of James in 20 minutes? No. Um, <laughs> instead, though, we're going to look at a small piece of James in James chapter 2 in verses 14 to 26. And here James makes some statements that are very clear that deeds or actions are very imp- a very important part of our faith. Now, if we look back at Ephesians 2.10, 
at the very end of that. People like to focus on Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You know, we're saved by faith through grace, not of works. It's not about what we do. We can't earn it. We can't, we can't deserve it, right? They focus on that part. But we forget verse 10 where it says, we're God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And this is not in contradiction to what James tells the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Paul alludes to the idea that even though good deeds don't equal salvation or faith, we are created to do them. Now, before we get any further into this message, I just want to kind of take an aside, and I want to brag a little bit on living hope on you guys. I consider it a very deep privilege to serve here. I really do. I have rarely met a group of people that are so generous with their time and their talents and their resources. And please understand, I am in no way disparaging anyone here, anyone connected to this church. You are wonderful, generous, and giving and doing people, okay? So that's my caveat, that's my <laughs> disclaimer before I go any farther. But I do know, I've been around a long time, and I do understand that it's easy to think that the other guy, that other guy, is doing enough so I don't have to do so much, if anything at all. It's a temptation for all of us, isn't it? Sometimes it's tempting to give money with the expectation that someone else can handle the actual doing. And don't get me wrong, financial generosity is important. <laughs> Pastor Rich mentioned it in the announcements this morning. Because you're generous with your financial resources, living hope can operate and can affect the community of Valparaiso. A positively affect <laughs> the community of Valparaiso. And each of the lives of the people who come into contact with Pastor Rich, hopefully myself, and each person who calls Living Hope their home. But the financial generosity is how agencies, how charities, how churches operate. So don't get me wrong when I say giving money is a bad thing to do or you should do something else. I'm not going to tell you not to give. For one, I might get fired, <laughs> but, um, but it is important, but we can't, I don't want us to see giving money as a substitute for doing the things that God has given us to do. So with this in mind, let's look at uh, James chapter 2, starting in verses 14 to 17. It says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions or your deeds? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. James asks some really pointed questions here, doesn't he? They're hard questions. What good is faith without deeds? What does it matter? You know, God challenged me in this actually a few years ago. I was one of those that I, maybe I'm downtown Chicago, and I would walk by people 
and I wouldn't see them. Okay, I'm being honest, I'm being transparent and a little confessional here. I would, I would not even see them. I would ignore them because, well, I can't really do anything for them. So I'm just going to pretend they're not there. Man, God, God really gave me what for for that a while back. <laughs> and this verse was part of that reason for God getting on me about that. How can I say, hey, have a great life? Hey, have a good day. When there are people, <laughs> when the people I'm saying that to haven't eaten today, or maybe not yesterday, or they don't have adequate clothing for whatever weather, whether it's summertime or wintertime. That's pretty hypocritical on my part to do that, isn't it? So he says, or he asks, can faith that has no action, let me, yes it was, can faith that has no action save anyone? According to verse 17, faith by itself, it isn't enough. It has to produce good deeds. And his last statement is very pointed, very specific. Without good deeds, our faith is dead and useless. And that seems harsh, doesn't it? We don't like to hear somebody tell us, your faith is useless. It's dead. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> I believe. I believe in God. We'll get into that. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to go into verses 18 to 20. It says, now some may argue some people have faith. Others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe there's one God. Good for you. <laughs> good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without deeds is dead and useless? Now, maybe it's just me. I know I've admitted this before. I tend to think in sarcasm. Try not to talk too much in sarcasm. Not everybody appreciates it the way my family does. <laughs> but I hear this with just a little hint of sarcasm from James. You know, he's like, you know, you say you believe there's one God. Well, good for you. La-di-da. So what? It's not enough to say you have faith. It's not enough to believe that God exists. Again, James, James tells us that faith without good works is dead. It's useless. And you know, at this point in my preparation for today, I was starting to see a pattern come about. <laughs> and there's one more part I want us to read from James 2. And we've skipped a couple of verses, um, but going down to verse 24 to 26, it says... So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by our faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid the messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Now I just sprung Rahab on you here, didn't I? Have you heard of Rahab? Anybody heard of Rahab? few people? Okay, I'm going to fill you in. See, we, you know, I mentioned James was addressing Jewish believers. So the Jewish believers would have known Rahab, not known her personally, but would have known about Rahab. They would have known the story. They would have known the point of the story, the example that James was sharing. So we don't necessarily have that same advantage. So here's a synopsis. Rahab was 
um, was a woman, she was considered to be a prostitute, and we see that in the scripture. She may have also been an innkeeper along with. That wasn't unusual in that day. And when Joshua, remember Joshua, Battle of Jericho, the walls came tumbling down, and there's a song in there somewhere, I know. Um, but when he was getting ready to take the city of Jericho, he sent two spies in to the city to scout it out. Now Rahab gave the spies lodging. And when the men of the city of Jericho found out about it, they came after Rahab. And they wanted her to turn them over to them. Instead, she hid them on her roof under stalks of flax and barley. Now it was harvest season. They were harvesting flax and barley, so there was a lot of it. It's kind of like hiding in a haystack or under a haystack. She hid the men, and when the, the men searching for them went away, she helped them escape from a different route. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, she told the men of Jericho that they, she had overheard them saying they were going one direction, and she told them to go another direction. <laughs> she was pretty smart. But for her actions, Rahab was spared, her and her entire household. Anyone who was connected to her by family, they were spared when the city of Jericho was destroyed. Do you remember the story? They marched around, they yelled, and they screamed, and it's a, it's a little longer story than that, but then all of a sudden the walls just fell, except for the place where she lived in the wall. I know that sounds weird. It's like saying they live under the stairs or something, but her, her home and her inn where she was was in the wall, and all of it tumbled down except for the place that Rahab lived. That part was kept intact. Because she was spared, because of her faith, she became a convert to Judaism. And her actions demonstrated her faith in the one true God rather than the many gods of Canaan. Now what the Jewish believers understood was that Rahab had put her faith in God and her actions towards these Hebrew spies demonstrated her faith. She's the example that James uses here to support his statement that we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Now, I don't want to confuse these two things with what Paul wrote in Romans about the law. James isn't talking about following a list of rules or hoarding up a bunch of look at the good stuff I've done points, right? What I believe he's trying to convey here is the crucial importance of this being a both-and rather than an either-or relationship between faith and deeds. Now, there are some church folks. I love church folks. <laughs> there are some church folks that can be a little critical of other church folks who are more apt to be involved in social and civic issues, assuming that they're trying to work their way to heaven. I've heard this criticism between denominations, between groups of Christians. But it's very much like the argument that Jane presents back in verse 18 when he says, some may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith without your good deeds? Or if you don't have good deeds, I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And in verse 22, I, I know I didn't include it in the slides, but it says, you see his, and he's talking about Abraham, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. 
And this illustrates James' assertion that these two things are cooperative rather than competitive. <laughs> you might think I'm a little strange. I, songs pop into my head randomly. So if I'm talking to you and it seems like maybe just for a second I've kind of gone away, I probably thought of a song. It could be from any time period, any genre. Something will trigger. And <laughs> so... As I'm reading through this and I'm preparing for today, the song <laughs> that came to my mind um, <laughs> was the song Love and Marriage, made popular by Frank Sinatra. <laughs> if you know it, which you might from an <clears throat> old sitcom, um, sing along. I'm not going to sing, I promise. But it's, it says, love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a horse and carriage. This I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. Faith and deeds are very much the same way. You can't have a vital, can't vital, you can't have a vital, there we go, active, living faith without action. And actions and deeds without faith, while not bad, are ineffective in God's kingdom. You know, I was talking with a pastor friend just yesterday. He made a statement that has really stuck with me. And he said that our faith or our belief in God should affect our behavior in every part of our lives. And we've looked this morning a little bit, talked a little bit about how deeds demonstrate our faith. Good works, the things that we do, the, the involvement we have in our communities demonstrate our faith. But it's not just about doing the things. It's also about how we behave now, I want to be sure we don't get into the weeds of the lists of do's and don'ts, okay? But a few of the things he mentioned were how we behave at work. It matters how we act in the mill, in our office, in front of our classrooms, at school. It matters on social media how we behave. Good deeds aren't just about feeding the hungry or clothing the naked or being generous with our resources or taking time to help a neighbor. They're also about having integrity in everything we do, extending grace to those we disagree with, blessing, truly blessing, not, <laughs> not the way we might see it sarcastically, but blessing the person who cuts us off in traffic. Some people like to bless us when we cut them off, but it's not the blessing I'm talking about, okay? But <laughs> truly blessing the person who cuts us off in traffic. Treating our spouse or kids or our family with godly kindness when no one else can see what we're doing. These are all things that go along with doing good works as a way of demonstrating our faith. Now, I did mention earlier that it can be tempting I'm tempted to fall into the trap of not doing good deeds because someone else is doing them. Why do I need to be involved in this program or this activity or this whatever? Because they've got plenty of people. I don't need to do it. Now, I'm going to step aside and say, just because there's a program that's going on doesn't mean you have to be involved. I, I fell into that trap as a young mom as a young woman, where I thought I was Wonder Woman. 
I thought I could do it all. I thought I was supposed to do it all. That's not what we're talking about here. That is not what God has called us to. We don't have to be one, a one-man show, a one-person show. We don't have to do everything. Okay. But we also don't want to fall into the trap of doing nothing or doing a bare minimum because uh, other people are going to handle that. I don't need to worry about it. Okay. But it can be equally tempting to think that because I'm doing good deeds, because I'm giving, because I'm working, because I'm involved, because I'm affecting change in my community, my behaviors, especially my behaviors in private, don't matter. But much like faith and deeds work in cooperation with each other, I believe that faith and behavior do also. And in many situations, deeds and behaviors can be the same thing. But when they aren't is when behaviors, like good deeds, need to exemplify the faith and the salvation that we claim. The question that I've often asked myself over the years of growing in my faith, and I know I've shared before, I've been around a long time, <laughs> a long time, my whole life, grown up in the church. And I have asked myself more than once, am I doing the good things that I'm doing for the right reason? Like I said, I fell into the trap of thinking I had to do everything in order to be considered worthy, in order to be accepted, in order to be considered a good Christian. But am I doing those for the right reasons? Am I trying to build up brownie points for God, with God, in hopes that when we meet, he looks favorably on me? <laughs> he thinks I did a good job, right? Or do I do what I do out of love for God and love for others? And if I'm terribly honest, I've done them for both reasons. I'm finding, however, as I mature in my faith, and as I continue to mature in my faith, I understand more and more of what it is, of what I, that what I do is done out of love, rather than trying to earn favor with God. Am I perfect at it? No. <laughs> I'm not perfect at anything. <laughs> I fail probably more often than I succeed, if I'm really being honest. But do I desire to do better and be better at loving God and loving others and in that way demonstrate my faith in God? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is the deepest desire of my heart to do better and be better at loving God and loving others and that everything I do out of that demonstrates that. Imperfectly but it's still the desire of my heart. So my encouragement today to you, to me, <laughs> is to take some time. Take some time today, this week. Let God take a look at the good deeds that you're doing. Don't stop doing them. Don't stop doing the good things that you're doing, okay? But let God take a look at the good de deeds that you're doing. And maybe, maybe he has a challenge for you. Let him challenge you to be sure that you're demonstrating your faith through good deeds and the way that you live. 
challenge you as to whether you're doing those things and being those things out of love for God and for others or because it's, the, you think, it's what you think you have to do. And again, I also want to challenge you and encourage you. I encourage you so I can't even, I can't tell you how strongly I feel this. I encourage you to keep doing the things you're already doing. Like I said, Living Hope is a church of generous, generous people. People who don't have much that give out of their need. People who have plenty and give out of their abundance. I love being part of the people here that are so incredibly generous. And I encourage you to keep doing that. Keep demonstrating your love for God and your love for others. Now pray with me, would you? Lord, I do thank you for living hope. I thank you for these people that call living hope home, that call the people here family. Lord, I feel like I've become part of that family, and I've come to love so very many of the folks that are part of it. The other ones I just don't know yet. <laughs> Lord, you have begun a great work here in this church. No, there might not be thousands of people that attend here, Lord, but I know that the folks in this church affect the lives of thousands of people. I have no doubt. I thank you for the generosity, for the heart of giving and compassion that I sense in each person in this church and from this church as a, as a whole, as a body. Lord, you have done a great thing here, and you continue to do great things through living hope. And I'm so glad to be a part of it. But Father, help us to just take a moment to check ourselves this week, to check our own motivations, our own hearts, and just have a conversation with you, Lord, and make sure, just make sure that everything we're doing, Lord, is because we love you and we love our neighbors all of our neighbors. Be with us this week, Lord. For some, it's going to be a rough week. For others, it's going to be just normal. For some, we're missing people. For some, we're welcoming people. Whatever the case may be, Lord, I just pray that everything that we do and we say this week would bring honor and glory to you. Now, Lord, as we go into a time of communion, as we accept the gifts of the bread and the juice, I pray, Father, that you would bless those elements. Bless our time as we contemplate the sacrifice with these tangible things that we can hold in our hands, that we can put into our mouths, that we can taste with our tongue, Lord. May we contemplate the sacrifice that you made on our behalf so that we could experience, so that we could live in the forgiveness of sin and the victory of your resurrection. And now, Lord, I just ask your blessing on the Eucharist, on this time of communion as we gather together as a body of believers. Now, join me in praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You are invited to either come to the front and receive communion there. If you're more comfortable staying at your table and keeping a social distance, there are elements at your table. You're welcome to stay there and receive them there. But take this time to participate with your family in the um, act of receiving communion. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>